Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And we're going to shout out some Patreon subscribers. Let's do it. All right. So for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, if you like our content and want to support us, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Every donation goes a long way, and it basically helps us keep the lights on for this operation. Literally. <laughs> the, Brian's ring light. Our operations, <laughs> including just how we live beyond the podcast. Yeah, sandwiches and socks. And the way this works is um, <laughs> if you donate to our Patreon, you get a shout out on our podcast. And we also offer bonus episodes and other chaotic benefits. But yes. Please consider uh, visiting patreon.com slash feelingasian to see what those benefits are. But without further ado, are you ready for our first Patreon shout out? Yes. Our shout outs entail us guessing who you are. Yep. And we'll leave it at that. Very. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our first shout out goes to lawful baby level Ryu Hyunbin. Oh my God. Ryu, R-Y-U. Yeah. That's my last name. Wait, what? Yes. Whoa. Ryu. (laughs) (laughs) That's my Korean last name. That's my brother, man. Holy shit. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's it's, uh, like this. Well, it's like you, but um, Ryu is like a section of you's, I guess. Yeah. That's all I have. That's all I'm saying about that. That's my cousin. This is your cousin. What if that is my cousin? My guess my is... My family loves me. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first time they've supported me. <laughs> I think we could just stop doing this podcast I'm now. I'm done. <laughs> this is all I wanted. This is all you wanted. Holy shit. Just kidding. Wow. Who is this person? Wait, what's their name again? Ryu Hyunbin. Hyunbin. So I'm pretty sure this person shares the same name as a famous pitcher for the LA Dodgers. The exact same name? I'm going to say maybe because in the case that I'm wrong, it might be offensive. So oh. maybe the same name as the LA Dodgers pitcher, Ryu Hyunbin. So either it's my cousin, my real dad, uh-huh. or <laughs> the pitcher for the LA Dodgers. LA Dodgers person. Right. And I'm going to assume that this is the famous LA Dodgers pitcher who listens to our podcast yes. while he's in the dugout. And for that... You are one frugal son of a bitch because you are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, wait, so we don't like this person? No, we like that. Okay, I'm we still like a that. fan. I'm, I'm still a huge fan. Baseball. You know what? Credit to you. You're an MLB pitcher, but you keep that intergenerational wealth. Nice. We're glad that you're only donating at the lawful baby level, <laughs> Yu Hyunbin. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Our second Patreon shout out goes to chaotic baby level uh-huh kelly nellenbach wow you know i i just like before whenever i heard like a not asiany sounding name i just assumed there was like an adopted person mm-hmm. but i'm just gonna go with th- these are just white people that love our podcast mm. or you know not asian people that love our podcast <laughs> <laughs> i think this person is half really biracial oh, nice. that's my guess Nice call. Yeah. And mm. Kelly Nellenbach is a... All right, you grill me for always saying that everyone works in real estate or they're an account manager for a media company. Yeah. So I'm going to guess that Kelly Nellenbach is a resident in medical school. Okay. I mean, the same, 
same sort of difference, but okay. That's a, In the same world. I feel like that's so like specific that that must be correct. So Kelly Nellen, but or if she's not a resident in medical school, she is an incredibly successful tattoo artist based in the Bay Area. Wow, I really like this new route. You're t- uh, an incredibly successful tattoo artist. That's a new one. Yeah, she's like one of those tattoo artists that has tens of thousands of Instagram followers. Yeah. And they specialize in the really dainty, delicate, barely visible tattoos. Right. You know what I mean? I'm going with that. You're going with that? Yeah, I feel like this is a good, yeah, that sounds right to me. Okay. So you're in consensus with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, either way, Kelly Nellenbach, thank you for your donation. Thank you so much. Also, I, I think that I know a few people that are white or not Asian that are dating Asian people that listen to this podcast. Oh. Yeah. So I feel like that could also be a thing. Oh, okay. I'm going with that. She's a tattoo artist and her boyfriend's Asian or her girlfriend's Asian. Either way, we love or you. Or they friend. <laughs> we love you. Um, <laughs> and our last shout out goes to lawful adult level, Daniel Soto. That name sounds very familiar. I feel like he's very active on our socials. I'm going to let you guess because I know this person. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the vibe I'm getting is like skateboardery, uh-huh. short hair, and beanie. So, and sweater. Someone that you are attracted to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's his ad? I want to ask him something. Daniel Soto. <laughs> is, that, is that accurate? Uh, he has short hair. Okay, it's not accurate. <laughs> he does have hair. He has short that, hair. You're right. And I, he works in the art world. Okay. So still someone that you would be attracted to. Okay. So you are not not wrong. Tell him I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Soto, thank you so much for your wonderful donation. And uh, should we just introduce our guest? Brian, I'm so excited to introduce our guest this week. Our guest this week is, I'm so pumped. Yeah, he is extremely popular on TikTok. He's so popular on TikTok. It's, he's, he owns TikTok. He's the, the, the mayor of, the CEO of TikTok. <laughs> he's, the, he's the mayor of Flavortown slash TikTok. <laughs> you might know him as at your Korean dad. Also, he owns an amazing coffee shop in the Bay Area called Wrecking Ball Coffee. Everyone, give us your ears for Nick Cho. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What an intro. Everyone is so excited right now. And we are too. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you get so awkward all of a sudden? I got a little, I don't know. Now I I feel like because you are my Korean dad, I'm like, (laughs) I have to like act Act good. You should You're act, malfunctioning act, right I'm now. I'm malfunctioning. I'm like nervous. I'm like, I have to be polite. Please just be yourself. <laughs> Even though. Oh. Wow. I mean, that's the whole that's po- so- I mean, that's the whole point, right? What good's a Korean dad if it's not, if I'm not here to just let you be yourself and be your best self? Look at that, young man. Classic You're, Korean You are dad. trying so hard the end of the podcast, to cry right now. Is that all you need? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No more podcasts. I have the support of my cousin and my Korean dad. Oh, Amazing. Such, yeah. Well, Nick Cho, thank you for joining us on this podcast. And before we get to you, young me, how are you feeling? Oh, God. Okay. Now I feel like I have to be, you're right. I feel like your Korean dad is so about me being myself, but I feel like. I don't know. 
my actual Korean dad, which I don't have a Korean dad, would be like judgmental right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. How am I feeling? Okay. So this is actually, I wanted to bring this up because it is the Thanksgiving holiday and I'm sure a lot of people listening um, are not going home, right? Because of COVID-19. And I, I've seen a lot of people express on social media how sad they are about that, which is completely valid. And I'm really like happy that people have these relationships with their families. But like I've said before in this podcast, I have a very like a very uh, what's the word complicated relationship to my family. Mm-hmm. And so I have not really been going back home in the in previous years anyway. And so. But I always feel kind of guilty about it because I'm like, you know, my family was like, we have a lot of problems, but I feel guilty that I'm not trying to like reconnect with them. So around this time of year, I'd always be like, man, I should have like gotten a plane ticket and just tried, you know? Right. And so this year I can't go back. And so that like, there is no guilt. Mm. I'm just kind of like, well, I couldn't go back this year, even though I never go back. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm kind of like relieved and happy like happy that I don't have to go back Mm. or even feel guilt about not going back. Mm. And, um, I was like, I kind of wanted to mention that because, you know, I've been tweeting things like that and people, a lot of people responded like, yeah, like I don't want to go back home. Like I have a bad relationship with my family right? and I'm, I'm happy that there's no pressure to do that this year. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's also valid, you know, like a lot of us. Yeah. And I think that there's like, if anyone's feeling like that, listening to this, like, I just, I want people to know that that's totally normal. And that's just, you know, family is very complicated. And you know what? Let's, let's just party and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, social distancing, but like, let's just relax and, you know, drink beers at home alone. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Yeah. I think that, I think it's great that you said that because, yeah. um, Especially in our shared Asian culture, I think that uh, family structures are a little bit more defined, yeah. and there with that comes an expectation on like how you should conduct yourself. Mm. And for me, I do feel that guilt for not going back, but I do mm. also want to see them. But I yeah, also yeah. understand and getting to know you very closely is that not every family looks different. And mm-hmm. everyone has a different relationship with their family. And yeah. ultimately, you just need to do what's best for you. And right. um, that's, it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing, which I think is great. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> that makes me feel, Brian's my supportive, Brian's your Korean friend. <laughs> so supportive. <laughs> Brian, this is your, you, you should get on TikTok as your Korean friend. No, no. <laughs> Jump off of Nick's work. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess what I'm feeling is like relieved that I don't have to go through that old guilt process that I have to do every year. Yeah. And, you know, also mixed with, I also do miss my family. And, you know, if, if people that come from like problematic childhoods know this, you know, like your family's not perfect, but you still love them and miss them. So For all, sure. I feel all of those feelings. How about you, Brian? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Um, you know, these past few weeks have been a little tough for me. Mm. Um, I've, I've been feeling a little bit down, a little bit uh, just, you know, just not my normal self, a little bit gray. And this past week has been good. And w- one th- reason being my workflow has lined up in my day job. Okay. And so that gave me a little bit more time to sort of focus on 
myself and be a little bit more attuned to what I need to do to like, I guess, remedy this grayness or this sadness that I've been feeling. Mm -hmm. And I've just been feeling good because I've, I use this week, I think very productively in a mental health way where Mm. um, I made a few plans to hang out with friends. I saw them. I left feeling amazing and exercise a lot more this week. Mm -hmm. And I know for me that is really beneficial to my mental health. Um, I don't necessarily, yeah, like it makes me feel good physically and whatnot, but I always end up feeling more, just have a lot more clarity and I'm more at ease when I can just be active. And it's, it's almost a paradox because when you are feeling gray, you don't want to really do those things. You don't want to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, well, would you say that you were saying you felt great that you were having like a bout of depression? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, that's the thing about depression. You're like, no, I want to lay in bed for eight days and right. eat and that, burritos. And that only exacerbates yeah. that negative feeling that's inside of you. Yeah, and yeah. this is going to sound really obvious, but I have a really, I don't have the most healthy sleeping patterns. Mm. And this week I made it a point to get my eight hours. Mm -hmm. Normally I stay up until 2am. Right. Like usually from midnight to 2am, that's when I'll do creative work. Mm -hmm. And that's just when I'm most productive in that sense. But Mm -hmm. come midnight, I made a point to, you know what? I'm not going to look at my phone while I'm in bed. I'm just going to read a book and I'm going to fall asleep. Right. And I feel great. I feel amazing. <laughs> and it sounds really, I feel dumb for saying it, but what a difference like getting a good night's sleep makes. Sleep is important. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like that's the thing about the depression, you know, like fighters, like exercise and sleep. And you hear everyone say that and you're like, I know. And then you do it and you're like, all right, you're right. I should have just had a glass of water. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it sounds obvious, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I've been feeling. I've been, I'm feeling well rested and I feel good. Well, you look good. Oh, thank you. Your skin looks shiny. <laughs> it looked like I was just unpackaged. <laughs> um, Nick, how are you feeling? I'm feeling, uh, I mean, it's corny, but I'm feeling really thankful. I'm thankful to be here with the two of you, even if it's like over Zoom Aww. in this way. I, you know, I, I was listening to a few episodes. I've listened to the podcast before. But there's, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of podcasts these days and, and sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. like l- lately, uh, you know, uh, how, how you use your sort of free time or, or spare time, it, it can be a little bit complicated. And I have a lot of friends who have podcasts and so it ends up feeling like a lot of guilt that's mixed up, mixed up in that. But then like mm-hmm. Young B, you and I've connected like on Twitter and on, on TikTok too. And, and, you know, I've, I've, for you, especially for, but for, with both of you, like, I felt like, oh, these are friends I've known for a really long time. And so in a way this, like doing this feels like, I don't know, it feels like a certain kind of destiny. Uh, I don't really believe in destiny, but it feels like it anyway. Like a, like a thing that, you know, like when you, when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, of, of course, like it's not even a thing. It's like, yeah. Right. I mean, I feel that way about you, Nick, but I also feel like 1.2 million people feel that way about you. <laughs> that's how many followers you have on. They're all like, oh yeah, it's Nick. He's my dad. It's, it's, you know? it's like, 1.3 now. Oh, wow. wow. That, I, I think I mean, how could you slander Nick like this? I yesterday and it was 1.2. Oh my God. These, see, all that's these people. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm saying, you know, yes, like I definitely agree with you. I feel that way. I feel very 
chinjore, as the Koreans say, yeah. right? But um, yeah, it's like definitely there's some some vibe from you that feels that way. Yeah, and then I I have a friend who's like one like a little sister to me who I grew up with, whose name is Young mm-hmm. Me, who's like super like dear to me, and so th- there's Aww. that too. And of course, there's the the most famous Young Me from the uh, South Korean curling team. <laughs> From the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Let's go. That's also my cousin. I'm related to all these professional athletes. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just feeling really, really thankful. And I really appreciate just the way that you all share so much. And, Mm. um, Mm. and in that way, again, it, it feels, it feels like there's a lot of, there's a lot of synergy. There's a lot that we have in common in terms of just wanting to get into stuff that maybe we don't always we're not we don't always give ourselves the space for like certainly the world doesn't give us space for these kind of conversations mm-hmm. much less like even just thinking about it um just uh, you know on our own so yeah mm-hmm. i'm just really thankful and grateful to both of you oh that gave so me sweet. a nice like warm fuzzy feeling inside <laughs> <laughs> um i wanted to say you know some, I just want to touch on something you said. I feel like the sort of our presence, internet presence and the work that we do is it is sort of, sort of similar. And um, it's one thing about, well, like how I feel about your Korean dad is that it's like, um, it's just you being yourself and talking about your emotions and being like supportive and people are really responding to that. And I feel like we, that's like what we're trying to do on the podcast yeah and i feel like as asians and asian american people i think it's very important that i'm not to like sound like i'm hyping myself up so much but like i think what we do like you brian and i like just being open about like you know mental health and like being supportive is it is important work and i think it's important for people to see that um, as someone who I, we've literally just met and I know you through your work on TikTok, um, your, your handle is at your Korean dad on TikTok. As you mentioned, you've, uh, you have a following of 1.3 million people. Can you just give us a little overview of what is your Korean dad? Yeah. So TikTok is an app, <laughs> you know, musically by dance. Trump band, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Charlie D'Amelio dancing, the end. Um, A little bit before, I mean, I guess it was last summer. I have two teenage daughters. Mm -hmm. Right now they're 15 and 17. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, and and we can get into it. But, uh, you know, I'm divorced from my first marriage and my kid's mom Uh is that, is that first marriage. And I'm married now to my wife, Trish, Mm -hmm. but my, my daughters as, you know, sort of true to form, you know, we're, we're on TikTok a lot, just looking at it. And, you know, one day they came to me and said, you know, you should really be making TikTok content. And I said, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't even downloaded the app yet. I hadn't really seen it. And so I downloaded it, took a look and I'm like, oh, okay. And the thing about my daughters is they know that I've been making little videos and producing little things like that. Like since I was like 15, 14 years old, you know, I'm 40, I'll be 47 in a few weeks. Um, Sagittarius Mm -hmm. season starts today. So, you know, (laughs) whatever the heck that means, I'm not, I'm not always that, that clued in on that stuff, but um, I'm supposed to be happy because it's my season. So yeah, I've been making videos like most of my life and yeah, being like 14 years old and doing it with VHS tapes and, and being frustrated mm-hmm. by some of the technical limitations and things like that. 
Um, yeah. And then, you know, through digital video and et cetera, et cetera. Like even with my daughters making little videos when they were younger, like beyond just like home movie stuff, like making like vines when vine was a thing. I was doing a lot of vines mm-hmm. with them and then like little just fun quick sort of sketch sort of videos directing them around. And then we would watch it like a million times afterwards. Um, right. You know, Appa, play the chase video where they like chased each other around, like, you know, Seattle, like that's where their mom lives. And that's where they'd been living for a while. And so I said, okay. So then I was looking at TikTok and I was getting a feel for it and kind of acculturating myself the way that we do. I uh, felt like an immigrant right. in the, the, the nation of TikTok a little bit. So I, you know, <laughs> that's a familiar sort of, feeling. And so then I said, okay, I turned to them again. Cause you know, they're the Gen Z sort of like representatives here. And I said, you know, okay, so what kind of content right. should I make? And they said, well, you know, you're a coffee person, so you should make coffee content. So mm-hmm. this is where right. it's like, you know, it's important to note that, yeah, my sort of main professional identity is as a coffee professional and as a coffee expert. Mm. Um, my wife, yeah. Trish and I are considered sort of, I mean, it's always weird talking about yourself in this way, but we're kind of considered leading coffee experts in the world. Um, okay. She's more on the like coffee sourcing and on, on the professional tasting and then the roasting side. And then my expertise mm-hmm. is on the brewing sort of barista cafe side. And yeah, we're both considered wow. sort of like thought leaders and critics and whatever. Like we're invited, uh, both of us are invited to different parts of the world to speak at conferences and give talks and things like that and teach. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we still haven't gone around to writing our book, but, you know, hopefully someday. And so anyway, they said, you know, you should make coffee stuff. And I said, okay. So like, if you go back in my TikTok uh, archive, so to speak, you'll see like the first couple were just like little coffee, little quick sort of vignettes. Right mm, away, I was okay. like, I don't, I don't want to make coffee for TikTok. Like, that's my day job. Mm. Like, I want to do something mm, different. Mm. So um, I was thinking about like, what could I do? And you know, sort of a long story, but at this point in my life, even though like my daughters are teenagers, that like that idea of being a dad, it's not something that I ever struggle with, but it is something that Mm -hmm. I'm settling into in a certain kind of way. Like I was, Mm. you know, maybe young me, you can relate to this. Uh, Brian, you don't have any kids. I do not. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, feeling like like, oh, you're a dad, but you're a, you're a cool dad. Like, you don't seem like a dad, right. you know, you don't seem like a mom, you know, kind of thing. Mm. And so that yeah, being yeah. so much of my my experience and then kind of settling into the dad thing more and more. Uh, part mm-hmm. of the side, side story there is that my older daughter came to live with us full time. So I was thinking like about the dad part. And then I was looking at a lot of not just TikTok, but social media and just seeing and again, I think you can both relate to this. Seeing mm-hmm. a lot of like humorous content by Asians and Asian Americans that was sort of mm-hmm. at our own expense, like a lot of silly mm. accents and even mm-hmm. see, mm-hmm. you know, like classic sort of long duck dong sort of stuff. Like, I don't know if we want to get right. into the whole like Uncle Roger thing. Like it's a little bit complicated for me, yeah. you know, as, sure. as I think it would be for a lot of Americans specifically. And mm-hmm. um and, and so I was putting it all together. And then of course, like, you know, Parasite was blowing up and BTS and all this stuff. And so you put it all together and I was thinking like, well, what if I, what if I made kind of a persona that was, that was like a Korean dad, but mm-hmm. not just Korean dad, but your Korean dad. And mm. that the fundamental thing, and this gets into a lot of the way that I think about stuff, like it, like I, I'm all about being subversive and sort of sneaking certain things in. 
um, this yeah. spoonful of sugar kind of concept. And I was thinking like, well, what if the Korean dad was just a nice dad? Like that was the first and foremost thing. And the, the sort of like subtext was we have our cultures and our cultural background. Mm-hmm. And also like, we're all the same, like, you know, and kind of taking mm. a little bit of power away from the more white normative white supremacist view of like Asian people as being like, right. well, we like you when you're making us, you know, kimchi jjigae or like, we like you when you're doing BTS dances, but like anything mm-hmm. outside of that. And so I just kind of had this idea. And then also, yeah, that like the K drama, like Korea boo type. So sort of folks might, might find it appealing. And so right. I, I started, I started it and, and right away I came up with this idea of like this little head pat kind of the gesture at the beginning <laughs> and that I would start, <laughs> yeah. uh, I would start each video with, Hey, I'm your Korean dad. And then I would just Absolutely. be doing like just normal daily stuff, like making lunch or going to the grocery store and just doing silly stuff. That's very much sort of in my personality and right. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but then I stumbled well, upon I mean, a whole right. thing that I actually didn't thing. expect at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and- that the thing that you said about, um, you know, like being subversive is what I find to be the best thing about your Korean dad, because there is, you know, if you think of any sort of like Asian dad stereotype in America, there's only one. Right. And it's and, and not not to invalidate anyone's experience, but it's like, oh, there's like a cold immigrant dad. Yeah. Pretty aloof. There. Not the best emotional IQ. Right. Never said I love you. Doesn't even know what that means. And I, I feel like hearing you say that that was like a conscious effort on your part is extremely smart. And I feel like that like. That's like part of like the, he- I, this word sounds corny, but like the healing that we as Asian Americans needed to fight those like ugly stereotypes and yeah. like those stories. And yeah. just, you're not even saying it out loud. You're just being like, I'm, I'm Korean and I'm a dad and this is what I do. Right. And like, why do you think that I would be any different? You right. know, like that. Yeah. And fighting that like sort of white supremacist I- ideology that like, you know, white families are nicer. White dads are softer. You know what I mean? And, right, right. And so I, I feel like that was very intelligent on your part. Thanks. What I'm curious is, how do the stereotypes about Asian dads in general um, work with or against um, this persona of your Korean dad? Like, or does it even play a role at all? I mean, I, honestly, I'm not thinking about what I'm counter-programming against aside from people's okay. just general expectations. Like, you know, right. I, I share this story a lot that um, I'm not religious at all. Uh, I would mm-hmm. probably say I'm closer to an atheist than anything, but I used to be pretty religious, in ter- at least in terms of my activity, you know, and I think, you know, oh. anyone who's Korean can understand sort of like the role that sort of the Christian church plays in, in, in our culture and in our history, especially like Korean American history is, is, is very, you know, it's complex and fraught and nuanced, et cetera, et cetera. And so growing up though, I was really lucky. I didn't, you know, my church experience, my pastors were academics. They were not Mm. Bible thumper types. They were PhDs from Princeton Theological Seminary, like that type of people. Wow. And, and the Harvard Divinity School, stuff like that. And, you know, they were, you know, throwing around words like hermeneutics and mythopoetic this and, and eschaton <laughs> and whatever, like in being in high school and like learning the theology stuff. But then, um, but for them, like the thing that they really instilled in me and that I really learned was 
sort of more the humanist sort of side of it. The idea of like, we're here mm. to take care of each other first and foremost. And mm. um, mm-hmm. my youth pastor from high school, who is in, for me, like in the top five, my heroes of my life. Um, Mm. he had this thing, like this catchphrase that he used to say from time to time, which was like, our job is to creatively disturb each other. And Mm. he was like a, you know, what we sometimes call like 1.5 generation. Like he immigrated to to Hawaii when he was like in his teens. And so it was one of those, Mm -hmm. like, and you all know what I'm talking about. Like those, like his English is perfect, except for when it's not. And like the wording is awkward, but then it makes total sense kind of thing. So when he said like, our job is to creatively disturb each other, like those, those words kind of like echoed in my head, like, like for my entire life. So for me, Mm. it's really always been about like, how do, how do we shake each other out of the status quo? How do we get Mm. each other to like, you know, be creative, like in a creative way, you know, what's creativity, like in a fresh way, but in a way that is like, is realistic and is sort of palatable, like people can handle it. Like you can kind of be outside of the, the, the box too far to where it's like, it's a little bit repulsive. And so mm. that's kind of how I've been. I've been that way with my coffee stuff. I've been that way with with right. most things. Just always like thinking about stuff, like a lot of that idea of like checking yourself, thinking about mm. unintended consequences for anything, the every everything and anything mm-hmm. that you do or say and put it all together. And, and, and it really, I mean, ultimately, you know, and I think my family has, has, I've asked them, I'm like, is this like, how does this relate to, how does the Korean dad TikTok persona relate to me in real life? And, right. you know, they'll kind of be like, well, yeah. it's, it's sort of like you, you know, it's, it's certainly, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's certainly at its core, it, it conveys a lot of this same sort of sentiment. And right. Yeah. It is creatively disturbing. For sure. I, I you know, the status quo. Yeah. <laughs> I that mean, is, that's a really good phrase. I love that. It's great. And that's the best way to describe it, because, you know, a, a week leading up to this recording, I was on TikTok and consuming your videos. And um, it, it, in a way, it made my brain kind of break a little bit because, mm. you know, by yeah. <laughs> in the in the best way, because you you are a Korean dad and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is real. It's like ASMR in a way where I'm consuming this and it makes me feel really good. But then it also makes me analyze, oh, why, why is it so weird to see someone who looks this way be mm-hmm. so like a beam of positivity and provide this like emotional support and, it's it's awesome, and I'm like, oh, this makes complete sense mm. in how this is caught caught on because it's very soothing, like mm. Young Me said. And yeah, and also, also I want to say like, you know, I'm saying like, oh, there's this uh, unfair stereotype of Asian dads, you know, like I said, and like, oh, it's like white people saying it, but honestly, I've been fed that stereotype so much that I believe it too. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, if I meet an Asian person, I'm like, yeah, your dad was never there, right? He was at work, right? Right. Right. And then I'm like, why do I, why do I, why do I think that? You know? Right, right. Why did I let them convince me that that's like the truth? (laughs) Right. I mean, the thing that's helped me sort of understand that stereotype, like I'll admit my dad isn't the most, he doesn't have the best emotional intelligence or the most empathy, but I understand that, you know, he immigrated here from Korea. Mm -hmm. He has his own set of trauma, his own struggles that he dealt with. And 
whatever version I'm getting of him is him doing his best. So I don't I don't hold any ill will or, mm. or hold it against him. Yeah. But just being able to see like your Korean dad content, I'm like, whoa, this is cr- like just create like it makes me uncomfortable in like a really good way. Yeah. But, you know, I want to say just like one one thing about like the Asian stereotype thing, too, is that, Nick, your fans are not just Asian people. No, not at all. Right. Yeah. Not at yeah. all. And so I think that there's something there that like is unfair to push all that on Asian dads where mm. it's actually most people's dads probably. Yeah. Right. You know I think I mean? about like things that, in this what, way a lot yeah. where it's like st- stereotypes are like anything else. Like the idea of a stereotype, it's really mm-hmm. sort of supposed to be a tool to help us mm-hmm. understand certain things. Right. And once it stops being helpful, then like get rid of it, like kind of eliminate it. But right. that's where very often with these things, I think in our culture and in our heads and in our hearts for that matter, that those things do sort of seep into areas where it's not helpful for us anymore. And I think that it's important right. to kind of like to, to notice that and then try to sort of talk ourselves out of that. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, that's also like a great rule of thumb for, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but we, we talk about like racism and internalized racism and internalized misogyny. It's like the truth is all of us have it. Mm -hmm. And like what you just said, once you like unearth it, you, you like point it at it and then you try to resolve it. And then that's how everyone grows. Yeah. You know, there's no, nothing wrong with the fact that I absorb that stereotype. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you talk about it like followers or fans or whatever, but I don't know if either of you had a chance ever to look at the comments section of any of my videos. Mm -hmm. It's because that's part of the thing that's neat about TikTok is there's these different layers. And I think one of the Mm -hmm. things for me, I'm a huge fan of thinking about things in different layers especially when I'm creating Mm. stuff. Like I want there to be layers of information, layers of content. Because ultimately, like when you have multiple layers, it's, you know, what we call like deep, there's depth to it. You know, very often Mm. I think that when, you know, we're creating content, I mean, even like we've seen this with Zoom sort of like, uh, TV interviews and stuff where all of a sudden like social media will pinpoint like something, a little statuette that's in the background on someone's shelf, you know? Yep, it's yep, like yep. those opportunities for me are really special. And so mm. um, for me, when I'm thinking about these things and, and designing it, uh, um, I, I am always thinking about like multiple layers. So the point is like mm. the comment section is its own layer. And, yeah. and then the messages, the direct mm. messages I get are their own layer, the mm-hmm. duets. And like if people don't know TikTok, duet is sort of like, it's, it's almost like designed to be a re, like a remix. Like you can, ha- it's like a two, a two screen side by side. And then you can have yeah. one video going that you like, and then either comment on it, act it out like what, or in my case, a lot of just kids wrapped up in their blanket on their bed, just like watching my video and like doing oh. nothing else. And so, you know, it goes from, oh, that's heartwarming and that's really sweet to what I get is just expressions and messages full of trauma and pain Mm -hmm. and Mm. like stories of abuse and neglect and Mm. sometimes just like pain of loss and, you know, their dad just died three months ago. Um, Mm. It's it's a lot it's a lot. Sometimes yeah. I feel like that character in Green Mile that just like swallows all the pain and, and all the mm, like stuff yeah. that, that mm-hmm. you know, but for whatever reason, I, I kind of can take it. 
Um, yeah. But I feel it. Like every ounce of it, I feel it. And it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Right. Yeah, I've, se- I've seen those. Um, I saw the duet that you posted on your page with, yeah. the, with the person that was crying. Yeah, that yeah. is like very, it must be really tough. And I do you, like, I'm sure that I'm, I'm guessing that you never anticipated yeah, that Yeah, that was the part started. of it that I did not yeah. plan for. I didn't anticipate and right. I didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, I didn't. You know, everyone kind of thinks like, oh, I hope I get famous someday doing something that I that I like doing. Right, right. But um, <laughs> important part, right? Something that you like doing. <laughs> you get famous <laughs> for lots of stuff. But um, but that's the part of it that I, I yeah, I did not know was going to happen. Uh, to step outside of TikTok just for a moment, I'm curious, like, how is your relationship with your father and how does that translate with your own children? Yeah, it's a great question. I've actually thought about this a lot, not just my father, mm. but my parents in general. I feel mm-hmm. like um, one of your other guests mentioned that they had their father was a doctor. My doctor, my father was a medical doctor. He's retired now. Uh-huh. And my parents are both still around. And, you know, even there, there are stereotypes, right? It's like, oh, like, you know, distant relationship, like all the stuff that we were talking about before. And Uh it's really strange to me. I don't relate to people's relationship with their parents, father or mother, in almost every way that is stereotypically Korean or Asian American. Mm. Um, Mm. It's not because it was great. It's not because it was like mm. a sort of contrast. It really had to do mm-hmm. with me. Like uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm just going to be honest, like the, where I'm at now in terms of trying to think back and analyze these things, it really boils down to me. Um, mm. The ways that my life growing up, like, you know, again, I'm 40, 46, I'll be 47 in a couple of weeks. Am I the oldest guest you've had on the podcast yet, by the way? I don't think so. No. I was going to say, I was going to say yes, but we'll go with Young Me's response. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Yeah, Young Me's response is like, of course not. No, I I have this thing where, okay, I don't know. Actually, that's an interesting question because like, you know, when you're growing, like I grew up in Korea, like from my early childhood Mm. and age was so important. Like every kid knew to the exact day who was the oldest, who was youngest. Mm. They were all so obsessed with it. And I feel like my response to that, like, that sort of like rigidity and like they would always like because I was always the youngest of uh, for some reason in my neighborhood was to just be like who cares who cares yeah like that and yeah. to this to this day I never ask people how old they are uh-huh. and when they say how old they are it like kind of just goes in one ear and out the other mm. I just have like such a weird relationship with age but yeah p- possibly the possibly oldest. yeah maybe I mean thank you <laughs> in, any, <laughs> in, any, in any case um. You know, growing up, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. And I'm the oldest of two. I have one younger sister who's like two and a half years younger than me. And my parents were both very well educated in Korea. And that's like a whole, Mm -hmm. like I've been learning more and more about sort of my parents' immigrant sort of journey. As Every time I spend time with them, I ask them more questions and I learn so much more. But, you know, as far as I was concerned at the time, I mean, Northern Virginia, it is Virginia. You know, we talk about Virginia Mm -hmm. and think about how it's like gone blue and the elections passed, you know, a few cycles. But, you know, especially then, I mean, it's still south of the Mason-Dixon line. It's still the South. And just growing up feeling like a freak, like, 
Mm. Um, not just, you know, there was like anti-Asian sort of racism. And I mean, literally going to the park with my family and it, like doing like grilling kaibi on the charcoal sort of grill there at the mm-hmm. public park and just having an entire family, like white family, like about, you know, 20 yards away, just all at the same time, just doing ching chong, ching chong stuff, you know, and this would yeah, happen wow. on a pretty regular same. basis, like some version of that. Wow. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at school, like growing up in the seventies and eighties and, and at the time, like people didn't know what Korea was on the most part, mm-hmm. you know, no, like yeah. when I tell sort of young people about that now, it kind of blows their minds, but I'm like, yeah, people had never even heard of Korea. And if you had, right. it was because of the that. Korean war. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I am, you know, closer to your age than a lot of people that we have on the podcast. And my experience is similar to yours. Like it was people not knowing what Korea was. I say that and people are like, what? And I was like, no one knew what Korea was. Yeah. When I was like, like, are you kidding me? They're like, what part of China is that? Or some, they would say something like that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. In that way, I guess it does feel like there has been progress. Obviously not enough. Because yeah. There's still so much racism, but yeah. But you know, wow, I, that was so I, intense. I was intense. I was a certain kind of lonely, uh, but then I was very uh-huh. extroverted, and mm-hmm. I'm still like I don't know how far I am on the journey of self exploration in terms of trying to figure out kind of where I come from, kind of thing in terms of where I'm at with things. Mm. But I really um, I I don't have that internalized guilt really. Like if anything, mm-hmm. that that guilt and the pressures like was more within myself because, it, you know, it, again, it feels kind of weird thinking about. But like I, I always knew as a young person that I had a lot to offer the world. And right. I, I think that I always had this sort of feeling of existential dread that I would never that I would not be allowed to sort of like let that flourish and sort of bloom as I became an adult. That, that, you know, my mm. destiny at the time, it really felt like your destiny is to sort of be a loser and, you know, no mm. girl's ever going to mm-hmm. like you, much less hold your hand or give you mm-hmm. a kiss, you know, kind of thing. Just feeling really down. I just remember mm-hmm. like, yeah, being middle school and just like thinking about like, yeah, my future, I have very little hope, but then I felt like I had so much potential, but put it all together. Mm. And, and, you know, I have a good relationship with my parents you know, we talk when I can remember to call my mom, which is maybe once every <laughs> week or two. And mm-hmm. when right. I visit, you know, I'm tr- nowadays they're in their seventies. I'm trying to visit like twice a year. And, right. uh-huh. you know, my parents are very sweet. You know, they're very sweet people. Mm. But at the same time, mm-hmm. um, if I analyzed it, it, it was not, you know, it was hard. That said, like, I think that because the way I see the world, I let them off the hook a long time ago. I kind of realized yeah. that I spent a lot of time thinking about like, what would it be like for me if I picked up and moved to a different country, you know, at a mm-hmm. certain right. point, like, what would that be like? And I do right. try to sort of like engage that like empathy or sympathy. Sometimes I always say like empathy is overrated. I think we talk about it too much. Yeah. I think sympathy is underrated. Oh. Symp- empathy is sympathy, but then you made it about yourself somehow you know, kind of thing. Right, right. Mm. You know, so trying to understand when you don't have that pathway is, is, is I think another sort of challenge. And, you know, like the, the, the instant, the like situation that you um, talked about, like in the park, Mm. this always makes me really emotional because like, you know, we're parents now. Yeah. Imagine like that was very, obviously very hard for you as a kid. Imagine like being the parent and being like, ugh, like, 
this, these people are doing this to my kid, you know? And like, I like, I think about stuff like that a lot. Like I revisit traumas that, you know, maybe racist traumas that I've had. Well, but you and I might feel that. I don't think Mm. my, my parents didn't feel that. Because for them, they were a stranger in a strange land. Like all that stuff is just completely normal. And in fact, like I do think Mm. that part, like so much of when we talk about these things, Mm. we forget that we're really talking about an American context. That these things are like messed up because this is America. And Mm -hmm. there is such a thing as like, you know, it's a sort of complicated kind of tricky subject, but, you know, to share like there's, there's like, uh, uh, like lo- like little R racism, and then there's like capital R racism, and mm-hmm. right. you know, in America mm-hmm. we have a different uh, a burden when it comes to these things as a society. Whereas, like right. you know, I lived in is again long story. I lived in Bangladesh for a year when I was nineteen into twenty. I was teaching Whoa. music at a missionary school for a year. Again, this was part of my sort of uh-huh. religious exploration. But, you know, there yeah. people mm-hmm. stare like at you for like, you know, they get like right in your face. And and sometimes like, especially women would just get touched like, you know, in a, in, in, by just random strangers. But it's right. like, but you're, you're, that's their like land, their country. Um, right, you know, right. that whole sort of calculus is very different in America. And so for right, our, par- right, for yeah, our yeah. parents' generation, I felt like for them, it's like, yeah, this is unpleasant, but also this is what you get for picking up and moving to like, you yeah. know, tens of thousands of miles away. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's, a good point. that's what my dad says a lot too. Like when, when we talk politics over the dinner table, he'll say, well, I'm still, I'm a stranger to this yeah. country. Mm. Like, yeah. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Like, I, I, I wasn't, I'm originally not from here. Right. So yeah, it yeah. makes sense that I get treated different... like an outsider a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And also there's a, I think even like for my parents or my mom, like when she's in Korea, she, I mean, this, sorry, mom, but like she treats like foreign people like that too. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. not she's not being like ching chong ching chong or whatever but she's like oh look it's a foreign person Woo-hoo. right like, right right so st- to her that yeah i guess that makes sense yeah i, I guess my next question them. is to both of you um as parents like nick you mentioned how in your younger years you felt this insecurity that you would not um be able to mm. maximize or realize your creative potential mm. that you knew you had inside of you now as like a parent are you particularly sensitive to that with your own children like to make ensure that they don't feel those same things that you felt when oh, you were younger yeah million, million percent i mean mm. for me the way that it, it kind of plays out is that you know i've been running coffee shops and had a coffee company for almost 20 years now So, you know, when you run coffee shops, like your baristas tend to be in their early 20s, like a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And so I've had this sort of ongoing training uh, dealing with, Mm. you know, people who are are like 20-ish. And, you know, part of the thing for me early on, I mean, again, I don't want to get into the long story, but like I fundamentally, I started my own business because I wanted to be have full control as much as I could over how I Mm. treat people at work. Full stop. Like, I didn't want anyone else Mm. telling me like, no, you have to fire that person or whatever, Mm -hmm. like kind of thing. Or you have Mm -hmm. to reprimand that person to give them warning, whatever. And so for me, like that, that process and like having that be the the starting point. And I mean, of course, there's like stuff behind that. But the idea being like fundamentally, 
and I say this a lot, like it's ultimately about trust. It's this idea mm. that like, you know, it's, it's easy. It's hard to build trust. It's easy to mm. break trust. And especially when people yeah. have power and authority, once you break trust, they think that like, you can, oh, well, let's just fix it. It's like, no, it's not so simple. And so mm. for me with my employees and with my kids, like my, you know, I don't think about this in the front of mind, but in the back of my mind, I'm always like, I can never, ever, ever break trust. I'm not going to do one thing. Mm. And so mm. like literally no one has ever, you know, none of my employees or children have ever seen me lose my temper or like mm. lash out or anything, you know, not to say things can't get stressful from time to time. But for my kids specifically, I feel like I'm super intentional about every word I say and how I say it and everything that I do. And I do think that mm. people said that that comes through in my TikToks too. But, um, mm. but in that way, I feel like it's not really about my parents or like the generational thing. I feel like for any parent, I feel like the eternal mm. struggle is, you know, where do I start in and, and where does my kid, like me, sort of my parent, my parent part of it's like begin and end. And, you know, mm -hmm. for me, for whatever reason, you know, I, I find it, it's, it's not that it's easy, but um, it's something that like, I, I it, ultimately it's like, I've worked that muscle enough to where I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. But everything that comes right. up, like, you know, I tend to always feel good and I have very little regret about what I said or did. Uh, with them and for that matter with my employees. Yeah. I just want to chime in and say as a mom, I have have uh, lost my temper on my son a lot. <laughs> so I'm and ob obviously I think my route, you know, obviously we all try to be the best parent. Yeah. But I just want to put that out there that I have made a bunch of mistakes and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's like for me, I feel bad, yeah. you know when I fall short and I make these mistakes, but I spoke to my therapist about it and she said, you know, people make mistakes. You're a person. The important thing is when you do make that mistake, what you do after. Yeah. So I, you know, sometimes I'll like yell at me now and then I'll be like, I'm so sorry. You know, mommy raised her voice and I shouldn't have done that. And you're right to feel upset about it. And I apologize. And he's responded very well to that. Yeah. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. But does that seem to go we well? We can't all be your Korean dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It does go, it goes well. And the thing about the trust thing, I think is I totally agree with you on that. And I think the trust thing comes when you do make a mistake and you say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake and I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, that is also trust building because like out my experience with my parents was they would do that and then they'd be like, gaslight me and right. be like what are you talking about right. like that's not bad like you should you should feel bad for thinking that I'm I'm wrong or something a hundred percent that's where I lost trust with my parents yeah so I feel like me being like hey I messed up I'm sorry yeah is is has been a very big um you know a big uh, bonding experience with my child yeah right 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 I mean it's a hard thing to do even regardless of your status as a parent or not where yeah. for whatever reason people it's just a hard thing for people to do to admit fault and take ownership of like hey i fucked up yeah. I, i'm in the wrong here i'm it's sorry it's so hard yeah and it's like and it's embarrassing for me to say yes i've yelled at my child it's embarrassing yeah you know what i mean but it's like but i have to say you know 
yeah, I agree with the trust thing. Trust is is very important with your child. But par- part of it is like that idea of building trust is like, mm. it is like building anything where it takes effort and again, creativity and ultimately some risk. And I, I do think mm-hmm. that to some degree, I think apologies are also sort of overrated a little bit. Like mm. I, I want, I, I want more than just, I'm sorry. Like, I think that mm. people need to be able to then follow that up with an expression that, um, that is again, like a, a rebuilding. It's not just about right. like, you know, you, you know, again, if you th- use that sort of analogy of like building like a, a Lego house or something, it's like if, mm-hmm. if doing something right. that, uh, you know, losing your temper or whatever is like smashing part of it, then mm. an apology is like saying like, I smashed it, you know? Right. My bad. But then yeah. what about like trying to fix it now, you know? And, and, and in, in right. the case of, of this, it's like the kind of trying to rebuild some of that broken trust ultimately, especially for kids ends up being, but explaining, expressing to them and articulating, um, you know, why it happened what mm. the feelings were behind it, what about it was a mistake or wrong and that yes. what, what you're going to try to do, how you're going to try to do better and maybe yes. like as they get older, how they can help you, keep you accountable yes. in that way. Mm. I'm so glad you said that because the weird thing about parenting is like you get in these situations and you're like, what, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And then I've done this thing where I'm just like, I just talk about it, mm. which is so, it's like weirdly easy. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, mommy got upset and it wasn't your fault. And then I yelled at you and because I felt like this and I was frustrated and I was like, it's so weirdly easy. And yeah. then what I, I see when we like discuss what happened, I see all these like things happening in him where he's like very responsive. He's like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. Like this happened. Yeah. And like, yeah. And the thing is that that yeah. sort of stuff, like there's the short term, like you want to feel better mm-hmm. at the moment. You want him to feel better. You want to feel better yourself. But mm-hmm. that's a separate thing from like the long game, like the years kind of part. And so often, yeah. like, and I see this so much in folks who engage me on TikTok with the Your Korean Dad stuff, you know, that, that word we throw around so much these days, like trauma. You know, but when you unpack Mm. that trauma, I think that if you were to go to those parents or whoever was sort of like the cause of that trauma, they would say like, but I said, sorry, but I said this, but I said Mm. that, but like, but it's different, right? It's sort of like I've said for a long time, like when you fall in love with someone and then they break your heart and something doesn't, you know, go well, I always say like, you know, you, when you love someone, you give them part of your heart and you don't get that part back. And instead you have like the scar. And so like that idea of scar tissue is so important, right? It's like, it doesn't Mm. fix itself. It's never made whole ever, ever, ever. You know, Mm. like if if you just, if you make a big mistake, just do a big apology, you're back to sort of square one. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that seems to be really hard for people too, just because it's like, we're all, we're all broken in that way. In a lot of ways, it's like, it's a, it's a cyclical thing. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm I'm curious with the with the popularity that you've amassed on TikTok as your Korean dad, mm-hmm. inf- has that influenced your relationship with your own teenage daughters? 
No. Uh, all it's done is, is, is like my younger one is 15 and she's kind of a self uh, proclaimed e-girl. She's doing a lot of gaming and she's like, has like the purple sort of led lights in her room kind of thing. Awesome. Okay. And the little black, like winged eyeliner sort of look. And right, then right, my right. older one is a little bit more of a, I mean, it's Madeline who's 17. It's so funny. Like she listens to like. Um, uh, uh, Joni Mitchell <laughs> and Dolly Parton <laughs> and like she's just like a funny kind of hipster kid but in that way she's like right. such a chip off the old block um, the, the older one is kind of annoyed actually by this a little <laughs> bit in a slightly angsty way whereas the younger right. one Pen- uh, Penelope is like kind of delighted by it all and <laughs> I mean when we're out in public uh, right. I am getting recognized from time to time, even with masks on, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. But um, right. P- Penelope is like delighted by the idea, and Madeline is sort of like the older one's kind of horrified. But um, <laughs> that's yeah. so funny to me, just the idea of a teenage daughter being like, "Ugh, freaking dad's doing TikToks again." It's so embarrassing. <laughs> dad's on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, this is a question that we like to ask all of our guests, and that is, what is something that you're proud of? Lately, I, I, you know, the the sort of rapid, like, over a million followers thing is only, like, a few weeks old. Like, barely, like, mm-hmm. two, like, I think I passed a million just, like, a week and a half ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's something about that, that sort of platform. But um, I've been... I've been trying to intentionally be, uh, it sounds funny, but like be, yeah, be more proud of myself and what I'm doing. And I think that with the TikTok thing specifically, um, the thing that I think people notice, but maybe not consciously is that it really, you know, as we've been talking about, it is subversive in a way. And ultimately it's sort of like uncharted territory, Part of it is like, again, I didn't plan for it, but also like, right. but but it was really intentionally counter-programming against a lot of stereotypes and such. And so I'm pretty proud of that. And I'm still trying to like wrap my brain around that part of it. Just this idea that like, mm-hmm. I didn't copy anyone. I wasn't inspired by any specific mm-hmm. thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that, you know, young, you were talking about your kids and like, you know, t- thinking about racism and, you know, stuff from like growing up that um, I do feel like for our generation, sort of like, you know, widely sort of like second, third generation, Asian American, Korean Americans, that um, I don't think that we're used to thinking about a whole fresh take on, on stuff. I think that we're, Mm. we have a lot of, not internalized racism so much as internalized immigrant, immigrant experience. This idea mm. that we're here to assimilate and learn and sort of create like mm-hmm. the Korean, in like my case, like the Korean version of being a white American person. And I think that that's, mm. a, I think that's a big mistake actually. And that eventually mm. I hope if everything goes as, as I hope it will, that we'll look back and realize like what a mistake it was. That yeah. it really about creating our own sort of like taking ownership over our own identities and stories and, mm-hmm. but doing it in a way that ultimately is about making room for ourselves, you know, right. is, is, and so that's where for me, like, you know, we haven't talked about like stuff I'm doing, we don't, we don't have to, but like with, with my company and my coffee company, like just really creating new space and kind of starting new conversations 
And so I'm so excited and mm -hmm. energized about this stuff, like more than maybe in my whole life. Like a lot of what I'm mm -hmm. doing now really does feel like everything I've done in my life has prepared me to do these things. Right. And oh, so amazing. that said, like, yeah, that's kind of long-winded way of like saying that's kind of what I'm proud of these days. We're here to teach, not learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I feel like that was the number one takeaway from your TikTok account that I thought was so smart and interesting. And I'm so glad that that is something that you're proud of because you should be. Yay. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's amazing. This is amazing. And Rewriting <laughs> the old stories. Right. And just more self-acceptance <laughs> yeah. at large. It's yeah. great. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, Nick. And uh, for our listeners out there, where can they find your work and your amazing coffee? I mean, I guess like I have a coffee company. It's called Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters here in San Francisco. You know, we, we run it here um, on Twitter. I'm at Nick Cho and I see KCHO. It's a little different from my it's different, but also the same. I've gotten that comment a lot from people in terms of like TikTok <laughs> and that. TikTok is a little bit more of a narrow sort of focus. Um, on TikTok, mm -hmm. your Korean dad, Instagram is Nick Cho underscore. Somebody is sitting on NICKCHO. They haven't used it for six <laughs> years. It's so annoying, but uh, it, it, oh, it, it is on, what Nick it Cho. is. That's how it always goes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, if you want to send me an email for any reason, like feel free. My public email is yourkoreandad at gmail.com. How about you, Brian? Where can we find you on social media besides your Korean friend? Um, you guys can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. And what about you, young me? YM Mayor. And you guys can follow our podcast Instagram at Feeling Asian Podcast. And uh, please, if you have the means and you like our content, uh, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. And we want to give a quick shout out to our wonderful sound engineer, Sarah Pack. Woo. You can find her on Instagram at impact, I-M underscore P-A-K-T. So if you are in need of some some audio wizardry for your creative projects, please consider hitting her up. And yeah. yeah, I think that's it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Bye. Bye.